<laughs> fishermen. Let's see your hands. How many fishermen? Yeah, I, um, I grew up in southeast Washington, and uh, the only river we had access to was the Anacostia. Um, the Anacostia is the most foul river. It's eight miles from Bladensburg to the Potomac, and uh, you could walk on water, and you didn't have to be Jesus. It was... So we didn't do much fishing. So when I moved to Frederick in 1980, lived in Brunswick, which is like, kind of like May, living in Mayberry compared to southeast Washington where I came from, um, I decided I'm going to be a fisherman, you know. So I started going down to the river. And I got to tell you, I was, I was just mesmerized. The first time I was down there, first thing in the morning and seeing all the beauty and I just couldn't believe it. I felt like I was a pioneer. I was waiting to see Native Americans come by with their canoes. <laughs> but then I progressed. I became quite a fisherman after a time. You know, I kept learning and reading and learning and reading. And, and so I finally decided, man, I need, to be, I need to be a deep sea fisherman. I need to catch big fish. I, I've caught these river fish now. So um, I go to Ocean City and I get on one of those head boats. Just curious, how many have ever gone out to Ocean City deep sea fishing on a head boat? Yes, I was going to catch big, big fish in the deep ocean sea. So um, they look kind of like this. I I mean, really, they really truly do. And you're kind of shoulder to shoulder. They get as many people on there as they can because they're charging you. And you go for about an hour and a half out in the ocean. You're about 20 miles out in the ocean. There is no land to be seen. It's, It's really quite an unusual feeling if you've never done it. So you get out there, and we all got out there, and then it was time to start the fishing. Now, I felt a little queasy on the way out. Not too bad. But then when they kind of parked, you can tell I'm not a nautical man because you don't park boats. <laughs> but when they kind of parked this big yacht, all of a sudden the sea sort of changed, and it was just kind of doing this. Just kind of doing this. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And you're feeling a little sick right now. Just watch it. <laughs> and man, oh man, I'm feeling queasy. Well, I spied out these guys when I first got on the boat because I was a little afraid about being out in the ocean. And these guys had Korean something, something, Korean Baptist Church. There was three or four guys. I said, yeah, I'm going to get by these Christians. Now, I got by them and I noticed on the way out, boy, they were slugging down beers one right after another. <laughs> I mean, I could have never in my best days kept up with these guys. So I'm like, well, that's a little odd, but I'm going to still stick here by them. Well, it finally came time. You know, they, they baited us all up and everything, and it was time to start fishing. And we're like elbow to elbow. You have a sinker that's as big as my fist, and you just drop your line down, and you're waiting. You're waiting. And, and people are catching fish this size. I kid you not. They park you over top of a wreck, and, you know, you catch all these little fish. But no sooner did we get started than all at once, my Korean Baptist buddies, they lost it. Next thing I know, I'm trying to look away, you know, because I don't, I don't want to watch that because that will make you sick if you watch somebody else. Right, right down the person on this side, it was like somebody flipped a switch. I am not exaggerating. At least 50% of the boat, they're all just, just releasing releasing everywhere. I got so bad, I went inside where they cut up the bait. It smelled so foul in there, but I was like, I just can't take it anymore. So as soon as I walk inside the center where the bait's being chopped up, it was like the matrix. This, this projectile, it, defi- it hung in the air. It defied gravity, and I did like the matrix thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
it was, it was a bad, bad trip. That was uh, when I learned I'm not much of a nautical man. So we're going to talk about fishing today from the scripture. <laughs> and that was just a warm-up to get you going there. So let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 5. Don't take me on a fishing trip with you. Um, Luke chapter 5, and we're going to really read verses 1 through 11. That's page 1162, the Gospel of Luke. This is early in the ministry of Jesus. It's in his first year. His ministry lasted about three and a half years. Now Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing around to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. That's Peter, for some of you that may not know. Then Jesus sat down, and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon, again, this is Peter. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Not sure what else he might have been thinking at this point. There was a pause, I'm sure, and then he says, but, but at your word, I will lower the nets. Now, he didn't want to do it, obviously. He, he's saying, listen, we're, in essence, you got to understand, he was a professional fisherman. He, James, and John were professional fishermen. You could imagine Peter having on his mind, Lord, this is what I know. This fishing is what I do for a living. We tried. It was just one of those nights. We fished all night. We didn't catch anything. I'm tired. I want to wash my nets. I want to go home. I want to catch some rest. But at your word, we'll go back out to the deep, and I'll let down the nets. Verse 6. When they had done this, they caught so many fish, their nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they were about to, what does it say? Sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, this is an odd response here, just this exchange. He says to Simon Peter, after Peter bursts out with this, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching what? People. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Now, it's kind of a simple story, and uh, it's not hard to understand what's going on. Peter's a professional fisherman. He knows how to do it. He's done it all his life. It's his way of making a living, but he failed for this night. He was okay with that. He probably had had failures before. And then Jesus urges him to do something that was counterintuitive, go out at this time in the morning instead of the evening when they fished, and to give it another try. Peter was tired. He didn't feel like doing it. It didn't make any sense. Here's the main thing. He didn't want to do it. He could do it. It was a very little thing for Peter. 
to go back out and recast the nets. He had done this hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. It was an easy thing. It was a possible thing. It was a doable thing. It was little, but he didn't want to do it. Now, to give you a sense of what the boats were like in those days, uh, I think I have a couple pictures. Here's a, here's a picture of a first-century Galilean fishing boat, and you can see the size comparisons. They were, they were about 27 feet in length. They were about 7.5 feet wide. They were flat-bottom boats, so they could go in shallow water. You can see the nets were not too big. They would drop these nets and then pull them, to, pull them together. They were weighted, and that's how the fish would be caught inside them. Now, again, you can see to tear those nets, it wouldn't take a huge number of fish. And to even sink boats of that size, even with Peter, James, and John's boats, you know, I'm thinking maybe 1,000, 3,000 fish would probably tear some nets and maybe sink some boats. In fact, I like the number 3,000. I'll bet you it was 3,000 fish, but it doesn't tell us how many fish, but I'm just going to throw that out there. Here's a recent picture that they found. This, this is a boat from the first century that they found in the Sea of Galilee. The sea of Galilee is really a lake. It's a freshwater lake, and it had a drought, and this thing was buried in the mud, and they, they got it out. But that's an actual first century... They call it the Jesus boat. Nobody knows that Jesus was on the boat, but it was the kind of boat that Peter, James, and John and Jesus would have been utilizing in those days. So let's try to look at this from a slightly different angle. So what's the first thing we can learn? Peter was just doing what he did for himself by himself, doing what I do for myself and by myself doesn't end well for we humans because the scripture says we were made by Christ our creator and we were made for Christ our creator and that apart from him life doesn't cohere we're never really fully human and fully alive we never find that elusive something it never sinks up inside so doing life for ourselves by ourselves doesn't work very well for we humans it didn't work very well for Peter here's a few verses to just sort of support this in Jeremiah 10 23 Jeremiah said, I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. Another, in Proverbs 28, 26, it says, those who trust in themselves are fools. If I live for myself, by myself, I'm a fool. Again, in Jeremiah 17, 5, it says, this is what the Lord says, cursed are those who put their trust in what? Mere humans, in ourselves, mere humans, who rely on human strength. Peter was relying on his own ingenuity, his own experience, his own human strength. And turn their hearts away from the Lord. So, pretty obvious example. Peter tries it for himself, by himself, and it doesn't work very well. So, what if we reverse this formula? Instead of doing what I do for myself, by myself, what if I do what I do for Jesus, with Jesus? Jesus gets on the boat. Jesus tells Peter, go out into the deep. Peter doesn't want to do it. He can do it. He says, go out into the deep and let down your nets. He doesn't want to do it, but he can do it. It's small, but it's irritating, but he does it. So now Jesus is on the boat with Peter. And Peter is going where Jesus told him to go, doing what Jesus told him to do. And the results are dramatically different. We can do life by ourselves, for ourselves, but sometimes we find, like Peter, that the results are just not what we were hoping for. We can turn it around and do what we do for Jesus, with Jesus, 
and we have the promise that that makes a difference. So here's some verses to kind of support this. In the book of Colossians in the New Testament, it says, whatever work you do, that's whatever. That takes in everything, whatever we do. It could be homework, it could be housework, it could be whatever our way of making a living. Whatever we do, do it with all your heart. There should never be a report of a lazy Christian. Never. We should do whatever we do with passion and zeal. Why, Randy? Why? My job is boring. I hate it. Why? Do it for who? The Lord, the Lord and not for who? So you can fire your boss. You don't like your boss? Fire your boss. Make the Lord your boss. Do what you do, whatever work you do, do it with all your heart and do it for the Lord. Doing it for Jesus makes a difference. Peter launches out into the deep. He didn't want to do it. He could do it, but he didn't want to do it, but he did it for Jesus. Here's another New Testament verse in the book of Philippians. The apostle Paul says, I've learned a secret. I, I can do all things. Why, Paul? Why, how can you do all things? How can you make this confident statement? I can do all things because, because Christ does what? Gives me strength. So Paul says, if you read the verses go before, Paul says, I've learned to be content in any and every situation. I can have plenty and I can have nothing. I've learned to, that I can do all things. I can handle any situation life dishes out. He was not confident in himself. He was confident in the strength that he had found by experience Christ could infuse in him when he felt the weakest. So here's life doing it different, doing it what I do for Jesus and doing what I do with Jesus. He becomes my source of strength. So here, here's some conclusions. Here's some conclusions. Number one, Peter's a lousy fisherman. That's what we learned from this, this message and this portion of Scripture. Number two, don't go fishing without Jesus. Number three, kiss failure goodbye. Go deep with Jesus. Sounds like a good book, doesn't it? Kiss failure. Peter failed, but he went deep with Jesus into the deep, and he caught an extraordinary catch. How about this one? Business boom, businesses boom with Jesus on board. It was Peter's business, and it boomed because Jesus was on board. We could conclude that from this portion of Scripture. I'll bet you that preaches in a lot of churches too. How about this one? Bigger nets slash dreams are required when Jesus is on board. We hear a lot of that dribble today too. That, that also sells books today. So, let's close in prayer. <laughs> or, if you'd like to know what the passage is really saying, we could stay a little longer. We could go a little deeper. You want to stay a little longer, go a little deeper? What was happening here? What was happening? Why, why Peter's reaction? Why, why, why does he say, oh, Lord, just, just please, just go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Why does Jesus say, Peter, don't, don't be afraid. You're going to catch men from now on. It's easy to get the impression when you read this portion of Scripture in Luke 5, this is the first time that Jesus and these guys have ever met, but it's not true at all. They knew each other very well. They had met at least months earlier. In fact, the whole first four chapters of the Gospel of John, you have Peter, James, and John interacting with Jesus in multiple situations. 
seeing him teach, seeing him cleanse the temple, seeing him turn water to wine at a wedding, seeing him do multiple miracles and so forth. They knew him. They knew him already. But that's not really the big point. That's not really the secret of this passage. That's not really the true truth of this passage. To understand the true truth of this passage, to really understand what God's trying to say to you and I today, you've got to go to another passage in the New Testament. Here it is. I'm sure it is. It's going to happen. All right. What I was looking for was Mark. Thank you. (laughs) It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And what does Jesus say to them? Come. What? Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to do what? And you, King James lovers, and I will make you fishers of what? Men. Fishers of men. Same thing. So this happened months before. But we find Peter, James, and John, they're back at their business. They're back at their trade. They're back at fishing when they fish all night and fail. Jesus had already, already called them to this. Now, here's what you might not know. Here's what most of us wouldn't know without some study helps. This is why we urge people to get a study Bible, get some study tools, because all of us need to learn the historical context of Scripture. It's not that easy when you first start, but it's really important. What was going on here when Jesus, when Jesus said, come follow me, we, we think of this in today's ter- Christian terminology. Oh, yeah, Jesus was telling you, know, put your trust in me, follow me, you know. Go to heaven and all that kind of thing. What did this mean in the first century context? Unless we know what it meant in the first century context, we can't possibly rightly interpret it. Therefore, we can't properly apply it today. So what did this mean? Well, let's start with some some very important points. Jesus, at this point, was known to be a teacher in Israel or a rabbi. We're going to use that term, but rabbi just meant teacher, but not just any old teacher. Jesus was already commented upon as being one who taught with authority. When we read that, we're like, okay, he taught with authority. Well, what, what it means he taught with something called smika. Smika, certain, only elite rabbis dared teach the way Jesus did. It meant that they gave their own interpretation to what the Old Testament was saying. Whereas most of the teachers, most of the rabbis, they just said, Rabbi so-and-so says this passage means this, that, and the other. But Jesus had smika. He said, no, this is what this is saying. This is what God's saying here. And elite rabbis, elite teachers like Jesus was, Once in a blue moon, they would find an elite student. The Jews had a a very, very strong educational system. When you were five years old, you were already taught to read. You were already learning the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, whatever term you want to use. They were memorizing lots of it. This educational system went for some all the way up through age 18. It got deeper and deeper. Elite students were when they're about 15 or so, asked to do midrash studies. So anyway, elite rabbis would occasionally look for elite students 
And when the rabbi believed that this student has the potential to become just like me and take my teaching, my smika, my yoke. Remember Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This was just a Jewish rabbinical term. Take my yoke upon you. When a Jewish rabbi thought you, I think you can be the one that I can mold and shape to carry on my teaching. They would go to that elite student and say, follow me. Didn't happen very often. Often the elite students would seek out elite rabbis and say, can I follow you, master? Can I follow you? And when you started following a rabbi, it meant that you were going to follow the rabbi intensely. It would be your top priority. You wanted to learn everything that your teacher, your rabbi taught, and you wanted to become exactly like your rabbi. That's what it meant to be a Talmudim. You say, what's a Talmudim? Talmudim, I think we might have a slide. Talmudim is what we call today a disciple or a follower. You see, a Talmudim in the first century, when they heard a rabbi say, come follow me, or when an when a elite student said, I want to follow a rabbi, the, they knew that to be a Talmudim, it meant that I'm going to dedicate my entire life to learning all the teachings of my teacher and I'm going to obey everything my teacher says. I'm going to go where my teacher wants me to go. I'm going to do what my teacher wants me to do. I want more than anything to become like my teacher. In Acts eleven twenty six, it says something interesting. Christian movement was just starting to spread and it says the disciples the word Christian had never been used in Scripture yet. In Acts eleven twenty six, it says the disciples, which we now know as the Talmudim, were first called Christians at Antioch. We somehow have gotten this all shuffled around that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. That's nonsensical. Jesus said, for example, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they do what? Somebody finish for me. They follow me and I give them eternal life. So what you have happening here is Jesus is going to Peter who has been rejected and ignored as has been James and John, by all the elite rabbis, nobody's asked them to follow them. They, they, they've been forgotten long ago. They're probably mid in their early 30s. And, and so Jesus is going to them, and he's going to Peter, and he's saying, Peter, man, I see something in you. And if you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, I'll pour myself into you, and you can become like me. You, you can become a teacher that has smika yourself. And we know it happened because we have 1 Peter and 2 Peter as evidence that it indeed happened. Why, why Peter's reaction? Does this make a little more sense? Peter's reaction. Jesus comes to him the second time. The fishing incident is months later. It's a second time. Peter has went back to his fishing business, even though Jesus called him. He said, man, I think I see something in you, Peter. I want to make you the leader of this whole bunch. I want you to become me and to pass it on to the rest of the world. And Peter leaves and goes back to his fishing business. And then Jesus comes on board and says, how's it going, bud? Been fishing all night, huh? Why don't you try it my way? Why don't you try it with me on board? Why don't you try it for me? And the whole point of the story is not that your business is going to boom when Jesus is on board. The whole point of the story is when we are willing 
to follow Jesus wholeheartedly enough, single-mindedly enough, long enough, he is able to transform us to be who he always intended us to be and to do what he always intended us to do, even though it might feel impossible for us at times. Look, look at what happens in this. So, so, so let's fast forward now. So Peter, by the way, at that point after this incident, he leaves his fishing business forever and he becomes a follower of Jesus for the next three years of his life. Now, when this, when this happens, Jesus has been risen from the dead for about 47 days. And Peter is just coming off of one of the worst failures of his life. The night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, hours before his crucifixion, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus three times. But Jesus meets him after he rose from the grave. He restores him. And now here it is. It's about 51 days later from the time that Peter denied Jesus to when this happens. But Peter stood up. Jerusalem is full of people. It's Pentecost. It's this huge festival that would bring about 100,000 Jews into the tiny little city of Jerusalem. Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed them. You men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. It goes on. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about how many? 3,000 3, were added. I bet you it was 3,000 fish that broke those nets and sunk those ships almost. Jesus said, Peter... <laughs> I know what I can do in you, but you've got to be willing to devote yourself wholeheartedly to me, and you've got to be willing to stay with me long enough. Three years later, Peter reaches 11, excuse me, 3,000 people at one time, just like Jesus said, I'll make you a man catcher. And he did. He did. So, what might this mean to you and I? Because we are also called to be Talmudim, followers of Jesus, fishers of men, catchers of men. We might not all be called to be a Peter, a teacher, a leader that will, you know, instruct others on how to follow Jesus, but we all are empowered by Jesus, if we are his followers, to be Fishers of men, catchers of men. Those that by just sharing the truth about Jesus in some small fashion, sometimes something as small as an invitation, can transform another's life because the power of Jesus gets into someone else's life by tiny, not big things, it's, it's, it's little things, little things. Let me share a video with you that we shared a little while back. I was invited to my church, FCF, by an old good friend of mine. She was um, someone that I had met on the beach, and um, we became really good friends. And she one day just said, hey, I go to this church every Sunday. Do you want to come with me? 
You know, I, I was raised Greek Orthodox, and you know, I had gone to that church for obligation for so long, and not understanding most of the service. I sat there just trying to absorb what I could. So I spent a lot of time away from church, missing the community and the greatness that exists or had existed for me. And I had been alone for a while. So when she asked me to come, I agreed and I was holding her hand in church. And I said that this was one of the greatest gifts anyone had ever given me. Because I found my home again. I found my way back. And because of this gift, I'll always be grateful to her. And I have now found my home again. It's impacted my life by showing me that you can have a family and community outside of the four walls of your home. It is the funnest thing at the end of our week, every week. My children have an amazing connection with their pastor leaders and their friends. And they literally run through the parking lot every weekend to get here. In our house, we have a saying that Sunday's the best day because we get to come here and be together. It has affected me so much that I feel my friends have noticed um, the joy and the love that I feel from coming here. And um, I got my best friend to come with me every Sunday and bring her children every Sunday. And it's, it's really had a ripple effect. Everybody knows that on Sunday, this is where we're gonna be. And this is where we're gonna celebrate our lives together. Uh, we will we have fun camping. Well, because 2,000 years ago, Peter was willing to do a little thing, willing to take his nets, go back out, go into the deep, and then he gets this revelation of who Jesus is, that he's more than just a man. He has power over all nature, and Jesus follows him fully forever. And it's trickled right on down. And here's this lady telling a story of a friend at the beach who gave her something as little as an invitation. And the invitation turns out to be life-transforming. And I guarantee you the transformation won't stop with this lady. It will go to others and others and others and others. The invitation is a little thing. One of the things that we've tried to create in here is, is an idea called the power of one. And the one is Jesus. It's not my power. Peter wasn't the power. It was Jesus is the power. But when we do what Jesus says to do and go where Jesus says to go, powerful things happen. So the power of one, it's a simple idea, and it has these parts to it. This is the power of one action step plan. We all have a circle of influence. It's the people we interact with. Identify them. Understand who they are. Think about them. Pray for them. And then invest in them. You just, you just look for uh, you know, opportunities to bless them, to be kind to them, to help them, to encourage them, whatever. This is what we do as Christ followers. We love people. And then you finally take this step, this little step that can be so enormously big. Invite them. When I ask a question, how many of you were invited to church? Can I see your hands? Lots of hands. So you know personally the power 
of a small step to fish for people, like Jesus was taught by Peter. There's a verse in the New Testament of Ephesians that goes like this. It says, now to him, not us, now to him who is able, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. But now you got to get the rest of it. Where's his power at work? At work where? The only question is, is it trapped? You see, if I don't, if I don't go fishing, I don't catch fish. If I don't go into the deep and cast my net, when I'm tired and I don't want to do it. But let, let me make it real clear. It's such a bummer, Randy, that invi- if I invite somebody, they're going to start thinking of me differently. They, they might think I'm some kind of religious wacko. It, it just feels weird. And, and, and Randy, I, I might invite them, and they might turn me down or think differently of me, or it might even hurt me in my job. Uh, you know, the boss may look at me differently, and, and, and I, I don't want to feel rejected, and I don't want to feel stupid. So I don't invite people. I kind of I keep, keep it all to myself because it just feels safer and better that way. I don't, I don't want, it's not comfortable, Randy, to, to, to take my nets and go into the deep and and invite somebody. I, I know this other, pe- other people are so much better than me. And they're, they're extroverts. They invite people. They don't think anything of it. I'll just kind of sit back and be supportive. Or we can all believe that Jesus' power, if we are his followers, is in us, at work in us. It just needs to be released through us. And you know now, you know, you, just that little video is enough evidence that it's released through something as simple as an invite to another person. Because we are Jesus' body. We are his eyes, his hands, his feet. We are his disciple-making, Talmudim-making community. And there's no better place on earth to bring a human being into because for such as this were human beings made. We were made by Christ and for Christ. And apart from him, life doesn't cohere. This is where he's present in local churches that are faithful to him and to his word. So, a couple of last thoughts. Peter needed to understand. Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. What he was saying is, is you've picked the wrong guy. I'm not who you think I am. You're calling me to be one of your elite Talmudim leaders to make other Talmudim? You're, you're calling me to have Shemekah like you to, to take your yoke and to present your truth that, that I'm going to be a leader of leaders? Uh, he's saying, go away from me, Lord. You don't know who you're talking to. I, I cannot do it. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid. Peter's thinking of his failures. He's thinking of his own sinful struggles. He says, don't be afraid. You'll catch men. You'll catch men. Just follow me. Here's God's message to some of us today who maybe feel the same way, that we just can't really be who God wants us to be, and we can't really do what we think he wants us to do. If we'll follow him seriously enough, it took Peter about three years of following Jesus, intense focused, undivided attention. He followed seriously for three years and it transformed him forever. We have to follow him seriously enough and we have to follow him long enough.
So what is the little thing that could become a really big thing for you and for the life of others that God would maybe want you to do today? What, what, what's your little block that needs to be knocked over? Is it maybe that you follow Jesus, but you know, like Peter, you're kind of divided. You, you're, you're, you haven't followed him seriously Maybe for you, serious is going to mean some things, some decisions like, you know, you're going to get a study Bible. You're going to start really getting into God's word every day, letting it get into you. You're going to join groups. You're going to get on a serving team. I don't know what it means, but you do. It might mean that your mind is distracted. You're half the time pursuing some other dream, some other goal, some other vision. And Jesus is saying, you know, just, just pursue me. Give me three intense years of your life. Let's see what you turn into. I don't know. I don't know what your little block is. Maybe your little block is to just give the invite. The invite is something we all can do. We know that. We know we can do it. And if we do it, sometimes this is what happens. We actually have a record of a chain like that in here. We shared it some years back where one person was invited and they brought another and another and another and some of these people are on staff in our church now. Be bold, trust God, invite, believe that God, no matter how many failures you've had, believe that Jesus is well capable of making you like himself and you too will catch people and catch them in a good way. Let's pray. Father, you, you see the barriers that exist in each of our hearts. You see our fears. You see our hesitancies. Speak to us and show us something of your glory in such a way that our fears will be removed and our confidence in you will lead us forward. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.